please uh, pray with me. Father, we are thankful that even in the midst of what we are going through, we can still have a sense of connectedness. We are thankful for the technology that allows us to be so. We know that it is not ideal, but we thank you that you are not limited by this space. And wherever we are, we pray, Lord, you would inhabit our places. As we open your word, Father, I am your servant. I have no thoughts to think unless you put them there. I have no words to say unless you fill my mouth. I am a pencil in your hand. Write your story today and bring your life to your people for the glory of your great name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Well, I am thankful. Compared to the congregation Ezekiel had, I'm far better off this morning. <laughs> he had very dry bones. At least we have a few people here with us. Uh, today, I want to ask you a question. In the midst of the moment that we are in, the time that we are in, what do you let define the moment? We have a lot of choices. We can give in to despair. We can uh, give in to pessimism and be anxious and nervous and fearful and fretful. Or we can listen to what God has for us today. And one of my favorite figures in our nation's history is Thomas Edison, pretty great man. Anybody that could see the positive effect of not creating a light bulb a thousand times well, is pretty, pretty good in my book. And this story came later on in his life, and I'd like to read this to you. Thomas Edison invented the microphone, the phonograph, the incandescent light, the storage battery, talking movies, and more than a thousand other things. On December 14, 1914, he had worked for 10 years on a storage battery that greatly strained his finances. This particular evening, spontaneous combustion broken out in the film room, and with minutes, all the packing compounds, celluloid for the records and film, and other flammable goods were in flames. Fire companies from eight surrounding towns arrived. The heat was so intense and the water pressure so low that any attempt to douse the flames was futile. Everything was destroyed. Edison was 67 years old. With all his assets going up in flames, Although the damage exceeded $2 million, the buildings were only insured for 238000 because they were made of concrete and thought that they were fireproof. The inventor's 24-year-old son, Charles, searched frantically for his father. He finally found him calmly watching the fire, his face glowing in the red-hot reflection, his white hair blowing in the wind. My heart ached for him, said Charles. He was 67, no longer a young man, and everything going up in flames before his eyes. When he saw me, he shouted, Charles, where's your mother? When I told him I didn't know, he said, go find her and bring her here. She will never see anything like this as long as she lives. <laughs> the next morning, Edison looked at the ruins and said, there is great value in disaster. All our mistakes are burned up. Thank God we can start anew. 
Edison chose something that probably most of us would not have chosen, and that is hope in God. Hope in God. And today's lectionary readings all focus in on that one thing, hope in God. Ezekiel's situation, very dry bones. I'm sure he looked at them, and in his mind, I don't know what you're going to do here, God. Lazarus, four days dead. Anybody seen The Princess Bride? We watched it yesterday. When they brought the hero to Billy Crystal, and he goes, oh, I've seen worse. He's only mostly dead. No, Lazarus was thought to be really dead. For three days, they thought maybe he was mostly dead, and on the fourth day, he was dead dead. All situations pointing to one thing. All external evidence signals it's over. It's done. The fat lady has sung. It's done. Throw in the towel. But God says, wait a minute. He challenges Ezekiel. He challenges Mary and Martha. Look to me and let hope define this moment. And the moment that we are in, I challenge you, if fear is rampant, despair is on the rise, hope in God. Hope in God. And what is this hope? It's not what I used to think of hope when my dad and I would go fishing. Dad, are we going to catch some fish today? I hope so. <laughs> you want to, but you're not sure if you will or not. They may not be biting. You may have the wrong lure. And it's also not a logical expectation that we can figure out. It's hope. What is hope? I don't know if the grammar is correct, but it is for me. It is expectant imagining of divine intervention. Expectant imagining of divine intervention. One writer said it best, there is no glory for God in that which is humanly possible. And today our readings all signal for us ways in which we can let hope define this moment where this expectant imagining of divine intervention can take over our whole thought process. And we're going to be hanging out in Ezekiel 37 most of the time because I just love this story. It's what spoke to me the most this week. And the first thing we see, God comes to Ezekiel and asks him a question. Can these bones live? God already knows. And when we're in the midst of a situation that seems hopeless, we can, first of all, like Ezekiel, take comfort in the fact that God already knows. He's not asking a question to get Ezekiel's opinion. He's not asking a question thinking, you think it's possible, Ezekiel, for these bones to live? He's asking Ezekiel the question, can these bones live, to stir him up, to get his thoughts in line with God's thoughts, because God knows the future. On the holy poncho that we wear when we're a celebrant there, you see the Alpha and the Omega. It's on the altar, Alpha and the Omega. Why is that there? Is it our homage to the Greek church? No, it's there for a reason, because Jesus said, I am the Alpha and the Omega. What is the Alpha? It's the first letter of the Greek alphabet. What's the Omega? It's the last letter of the Greek alphabet. He says, I, in essentially, he's saying, I'm the first and the last and everything in between. I know it all. If one person could say, I know it all, 
other than me, it's Jesus. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I almost know it all. There's fragments that I still need to learn. But Jesus does know it all. Okay? That's why he said, I am the Alpha and the Omega. He knows it all. And he, he knows what he's going to do. God knows what he's going to do. He's not caught by surprise. But what happens when we receive bad news or encounter a challenging time? I've had plenty of uh, instances in the last couple of weeks with this. Several things happened, and it was not pleasurable. And my first response, and I had to slap myself, was, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Like I'm in charge. Like I'm the boss. Like I said, I almost know it all, but not all. What are we going to do? And the Lord reminded me, and we had it on the, the screenshot at the very first of the, what do you call these? Streams? Live streams. The Good Shepherd. One of the earliest images the church used. The Good Shepherd. What are sheep supposed to do? Hey, shepherd, I think you need to give me some more grass. Hey, shepherd, I don't like this water. Can we go somewhere else? Hey, shepherd, I think I need some more protection. What do sheep do? What's their one job? Follow the shepherd. Wow. It's just that simple. Psalm 23, I hope you know it. Everybody should know it. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still water. He does all of this. What do I have to do? Yes, shepherd. What was that? Relax? Sure. Oh, you know what's going to happen already? Oh, well, that's good. I didn't. You know how to provide even in the midst of a, it's not an epidemic, pandemic? Oh, yeah, he does. What's our job? Listen to the shepherd. St. John of the Cross said this. Pride is not just an attitude of superiority. It is the subtle desire that is always present to be free from the moment-by-moment moment dependence upon God. Did you hear that? Moment-by-moment moment dependence upon God. That's what a job, that's the, shepherd, the sheep's job. Not to give opinions about what the shepherd's doing, just follow the shepherd. Be on that moment-by-moment moment dependence upon God because Jesus knows he's prepared. We just have to follow his voice. So Ezekiel says, God says to Ezekiel, hey, these bones live? I already know the answer, Ezekiel, but what do you think? And I love Ezekiel's response. He had surveyed the whole valley, and his estimation was, and lo, they were very dry. These things have been sitting out in the hot sun for a long time. And his answer was, Lord, you know, I'm with you. <laughs> What's the next thing we can do to help hope shape our moment? Don't define God by our understanding. We are very good at this. 
We enter these situations and we feel limited and we have a limited view of God. Ezekiel's reply was, Lord, you know. And as I was praying early this morning, drinking my wonderful cup of coffee, the Lord whispered in my spirit, he says, I don't need your suggestions. I need your expectation. That's what Ezekiel was doing. He left it open-ended to God to do whatever he wanted to do. And how many times do we close God in? Because we want him to do it the way we want it done. Scripture's full of it. Full of people. God says, I don't need your suggestions. I need your expectations. Because the very nature of God's miraculous work is it defies the logical rules of nature. He's not dependent on human resources. Mary and Martha, they both said the same thing. If you had only been here, Lazarus would still be here. He's four days dead. He's dead dead, not just mostly dead. He's dead, Jesus. He's gone. How many times do we trap God in a box expecting him to work according to our thoughts when we were in the Philippines one family was a tremendous asset great family we were like they are family and the lady her name was Mirna and she had an extremely well-paying job and I mean they basically half the church was supported by their tithe and she was diagnosed with breast cancer, and it was late. It was like already stage three. And it went into stage four, and she and her husband fought that thing for about a year and a half. And finally, uh, as no one wants to get that call at 2 o'clock in the morning, her husband Ambrose called me and said, Father Shane, Mirna's gone. Rushed over to their house. She was wore down by fighting that cancer. We went into the room where she was, her mortal remains. There was no sign of a struggle. In my years of serving God's people, I had never seen such a thing. She, her body was radiant and a smile. I said, Ambrose, I think Jesus himself must have came here and took her home. And she had to have seen it. And at the resurrection mass, her oldest son was very bitter at, it, at what had happened because we had all been praying and we all adamantly expected and believed for healing. And he asked me, he said, Father Shane, can I, can I say something? I mean, yeah, you're the oldest son by, by all means. And he stood up and the first words that came out of his mouth was, I was mad at God. I'm mad. I was mad at God that he didn't heal my mother. And then he said, but as I was in my anger, he realized God did heal his mother. Wasn't the way he wanted, wasn't the way he expected, but God did heal his mother. How many times do we limit God? Because we want him to work a certain way. Don't define God by our understanding. God is always greater. 
In Romans chapter 4, we are reminded that God gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. That's God. One writer said, you don't really know the truth of your circumstances until you bring your circumstances to the truth himself. And that's what we all need to do during this time. Bring our circumstances to God. It's changing. We don't know what's going to happen next week. But God does. Don't define what's going on by how you see things. Number three, cooperate with God. Ezekiel was challenged. God said as soon as Ezekiel answered, Lord, you know, God said prophesy. In verse 5, Ezekiel says, thus says the Lord God to these bones. Cooperate with God and speak his word. More than any other, we need to, to let God's word speak. Because God's word in our mouth is great power. It's his power working. It's not our opinions. It's not our thoughts. It's our confidence in who God is. And if you've attended any kind of Anglican prayer service, it's not like the prayer services I grew up in. The prayer services I grew up in were going to be rolling under the pews, screaming, shouting, hollering. I mean, good stuff. But the, the first time I encountered Anglican prayer, it was a shock because 90% of it is praying God's word. And by the time you reach the point where you get to say, now you may offer your personal petitions to God. Gee, I don't even know what to pray for. God, you've already taken care of everything. We've just announced that. Because God's word is life. His word is like seed. And in our mouth, it is of great power. And Proverbs 10, 11 says, The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but violence overwhelms the mouth of the wicked. Ezekiel said, Thus says the Lord God. And our mouth needs to be filled with God's word during this time. What good or what benefit is derived from being negative and complaining? can't watch basketball on TV. I don't really care. Football teams? Soccer? But you know, golf is still available. You can still play golf. The mayor said without limitation. You can't get your nails done? They'll still be there when they open up. Can't get a haircut? Man, I'm going to save $15 right there. Can't go buy new clothes? Probably don't need them anyway. What good is it to be negative and complain? It only brings other people down. We can all grumble about the situation that we are in, but who can be thankful? All of us. We still got electricity. We still got running water. We've still got clothes to wear. The grocery stores still have food. May not be exactly what you want, but it's still there. We can still go to a restaurant, get takeout or drive through. Still have family, still have friends, you still have clothes to wear. We can be thankful because God is still good. 
and he knows exactly what we need. Speak his word into the situations you face. Because Isaiah, the prophet said, his word never returns empty. But it always, 100% guarantee, always accomplishes its purpose. Lastly, not a very good preacher. You're supposed to have three points. I have four. Sorry. In the trial, we really get to know God. Ezekiel, looking at these dry bones, then begins to prophesy, and they form, and then the breath enters them, and they come a great army. He really knew God after that. Mary and Martha, when Lazarus walked out of the tomb, I'm sure they were shocked, and they really realized, Jesus, you are it. They knew him. They experienced him. And it is in the adversity where we really get to know who God is. One of my first weeks in the Philippines, I went to the main cathedral, and there was an old, he, he, was, he was of the Spanish descent in the Philippines. His name was Father Manny Melendez. He was about 95 years old, man. He was in that cathedral every day. And I'm fresh off the airplane. I walk in there, and the very first thing, he comes up to me and says, Hey, Father Shane. You know there'll be no sardines in heaven? Sardines in the Philippines is a big thing. It's like, it's really cheap. It's like a staple food. And he says, you know there'll be no sardines in heaven? I said, why? What are you talking about? Well, the Bible says there'll be no more sea, and sardines grow in the sea, so there'll be no sardines in heaven. And then I, he, he always rambled on like that, and then he said something that uh, stuck with me. For all these years, he asked me a question. What's the first condition to be healed? In his little, I said, well, I guess you have to have faith. He goes, no, you're wrong. Mm, you have to believe God can do it? No, you're wrong. I said, Father Manny, I give up. What's the first condition to be healed? Very simple. You have to be sick. And this is what we realize in the midst of these adversities how will we know God is our healer until we're sick? How will we know God is a provider until we need a provision? How will we know God is the joy of our life until we've walked the dark depths of depression? In adversity, we usually want God to do a removing job when he wants to do an improving job. To realize the worth of the anchor, we have to feel the storm. We won't know the goodness until it's been tested. Ezekiel knew God is the giver of life. Mary and Martha knew Jesus is the resurrection and the life because Jesus wants us to experience this. An acknowledgement is not enough. James said, well, the devil's believe the Bible, but it doesn't do them any good. They acknowledge it exists. The word experience, to know, to feel, to taste, to touch. And I think we are in just the right time to experience the goodness of Jesus. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. We don't rely on the world's systems. We can use them, but our strength is in who? God alone. So when you're battling the disappointments of maybe being laid off or losing part of your job or 
all the things that have been on temporary hold. Feel the strength and the worth of your anchor. It will not give way. It is sure and steady. Jesus said, I will not fail. In the midst of a professional sportlessness, a barbershoplessness, nail salonless, department storeless, gymless, barless, playgroundless, dine endless, job decreasing, recession looming, death lurking, pandemic. Hear what Jesus said. Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Let his word define this moment. Let hope define this moment. And we ask this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Please stand. <clears throat>